You are listening to The Heart of Christ, a year-long podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. Throughout 2022, we will spend time reflecting on Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, so we can come to know not only what Jesus has done, but who he is. What is his deepest heart for his people, people who are weary, stumbling, sinners, and sufferers? So we invite you to grab your Bibles, prepare your hearts, and come along with us as we find rest in the gentle and lowly heart of Christ. Welcome to episode 15 of The Heart of Christ. My name is Keith Winder, one of the pastors at Wheatland, and today I'm joined by Aaron Quillen. Aaron joined us all the way back on episode four and is now back by popular demand. At least one person asked for you to come on again. Uh, Aaron has been a member of Wheatland for about two and a half years. She has a master's degree from Capital Seminary and works at Lancaster Bible College. And Aaron and I, even though this is episode 15, we'll be reflecting on chapter 17, which I know is confusing, of Gentle and Lowly, which is titled, His Ways Are Not Our Ways. And Aaron, chapter 17 opens with this line. I assume you have the whole chapter memorized since you came on. I do, uh, yes. It's good. Chapter 17 opens with this line, the message of this book, which you'd think you'd do that in chapter one, but that's fine. <laughs> Uh, The message of this book is that we tend to project our natural expectations about who God is onto him instead of fighting to let the Bible surprise us into what God himself says. So I think it's interesting that he describes our natural expectations of God as faulty. So sort of uh, a faulty understanding of God comes most easy to us. But a true understanding of God is a fight, like it takes work for us to truly, to get this truly un- true understanding of God. So to start off talking about something you're bad at, can you, <laughs> can you share about Great. one of these? So take that idea and mm-hmm. think about what's a faulty belief about God that does come naturally to you. And then a true belief that you have to work at or requires a bit of a fight in your life. Yeah, so this is actually what I talked about in my last episode, so kind of repeating, but it is very easy for me to believe believe or view God as like distant and far off, um, sort of detached. I think it's easy for me to see God as sovereign and, you know, ordering all things and harder for me to see him as like truly caring for those things. So um, in places of like pain or hardship, it is easy for me to wrongfully view God as like teaching me a lesson or Mm -hmm. trying to just make me learn something in order to make me better, where it is sometimes difficult for me to see him as compassionate and um, close in pain. So uh, the thing then that I have to work to believe is that God is, um, while fully sovereign, also wholly kind and loving. And so his sovereignty is never detached from those things and they are working together. So that switch is something I have to do pretty often. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So uh, you don't see this because um, this is an audio medium. But when I wrote down my thoughts, my faulty natural belief is that God is distant. 
Oh, which is like the oh, word that you just okay, said. Yeah. Uh, and so, so we're not gonna be helpful to each other. <laughs> right. But yeah. we, we get it. But I think, but, and then the, the true belief, which is basically just the opposite, I think for me right. that I have to battle with is that God is present. But I was also mm. thinking that he wants to be present. Right. So it's not yeah. that God isn't present just because like, well, he kind of has to, mm. or it seemed like the right thing to do at the time, right. but he actually wants to be yeah. present yes. uh, is something that I have to, yeah, I have to daily battle to to come to that understanding or battle in the way that Dane Orland says to let the Bible keep mm. showing me that because right I don't know right. why it's a battle because just read the Bible like he, <laughs> right it's all I over mean, the like, place yeah if you think even the incarnation so like Jesus literally condescending to become like us and be among us I feel like it's helpful yeah. in that way but yeah, I would say reading the Bible is probably a good way to combat that, but I do obviously <laughs> feel the difficulty. Yeah. And today I was reading, um, I was doing this reading on the difference between, for a Sunday school class in the fall, an informational reading of scripture mm. versus a formational yeah. reading of scripture. And so the author's saying that one of the dangers of reading the Bible for information, and this will relate, I promise. Mm. One of the dangers of reading the Bible for information is that we look to the Bible to reinforce what we believe or what yeah. we think about God. Yeah. So we're looking for it to find like, oh, I, I believe this and see there's that verse, there's that story, and that's why I believe it. And this is uh, particularly in an information age, how we naturally are gonna read the Bible because we just wanna consume information and use it to our advantage. But then he was saying a formational view or a formational reading of scripture comes to the Bible humbly, like mm. puts itself, puts us underneath the scriptures and we're looking to be shaped and changed. And so that made sense then when I'm reflecting on what Ortland is saying, that it's much more natural, particularly for us in an information age, to read the Bible to sort of reinforce our expectations about God, even if they can be faulty, like he describes, but that it takes work in our heads and our hearts to come under the scriptures and say, like, what is it actually telling me? How, do I, how does my understanding of God need to be changed? And so much of this chapter... Uh, devotes itself to Isaiah 55, particularly verses 6 through 9. But I just want to read, because it's the one verse that is the focus, uh, is Isaiah 55, 8. So I'm going to read it so it's fresh in the minds of our thousands of faithful listeners. Uh, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So before I read this chapter, Aaron, if I had summarized Isaiah 55, 8, it'd be something like, I'm not God, and so I shouldn't be surprised when I don't get him. Like, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm not God, so, so of course, right. of course I'd understand. Right. And, but I've always thought of this verse as emphasizing or communicating or trying to help me understand the distance mm. between God and me. Uh, because I think I've always heard the verse and read the verse out of the context of Isaiah 55. I've just, I, when I think about it and when other people talk about it, I hear it just as 55, eight. Um, and we'll get, I wanna, I wanna ask about context and we'll talk about my failure in a few minutes. But, but first, this chapter really changed the way I think about this verse. And so since it's a common verse, since I know that you've read it and maybe even studied it, uh, before reading this chapter, Maybe you didn't have this faulty view that I did, but before reading this chapter, how would you summarize this verse uh, sort of in your own words? And also, like in what context have you heard this verse mm -hmm. used or quoted in relationships with people? 
Yeah, so I've actually spent a decent amount of time in this chapter, um, mostly because of parts of my life that have not gone the way that I would have wanted them to or would have maybe chosen for myself. So I sort of did come to them in that same state of like, okay, well, he's got it and I'm not, so I don't get it. Hmm. And I've definitely read them that way at times. I think I've also almost been tempted to interpret them in like a cold like listen you don't always get what you want okay mm-hmm. um yeah. or or yeah i guess like a like you don't get it is maybe mm-hmm. what i would have come to which is related to maybe my idea that god is is not is distant and trying to teach me a lesson that was something i was really mm-hmm. working through even in the time that i would have been looking at this passage a lot so I definitely am tempted to hear that as sort of a cold, like almost like a diss on me. Yeah, yeah. You're not God. You don't understand. Uh Stop asking questions. Um, And I think that's maybe how it can be used, too, is Mm -hmm. to say, like, we can't understand why this is happening or why things went the way they did. So, like, just don't even ask. I Like, sometimes it feels like a, a phrase that we use when we don't really want to sit with questions or with Mm -hmm. people's pain or with circumstances that we can't explain um i would say that's probably most often how i've heard it used yeah i that's that's been that's been the case for me that's when i've often heard it used as well like when someone's struggling with even like you're saying like when things aren't going the way that you had hoped or expected and people are asking questions like, so where is God in all this? Or what is God right, doing right. in the midst of this? And I think it's pretty uh, dangerous, maybe, at, at least unhelpful mm-hmm. when Christians use this sort of, well, his thoughts are not your thoughts, his ways are not your ways, as, as a quick sort of like ready loaded response in all these right. situations. Like, well, right. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. So yeah, I exactly. have this in my back pocket exactly. and I'm going to throw it out there. Cause like you said, I think it comes off as dismissive. Like, yes, uh, you're struggling with this pain, yeah. but there's an easy answer. And so don't right. ask questions. Like God doesn't want to hear yeah. your questions and your struggle Yes, uh, because his ways are, are, are different than yours or, or higher than yours. And that can be confusing, too, if you are struggling to believe that God is good and kind in your hardship. If someone Mm -hmm. says, well, his ways are not your ways, you might be thinking, well, his ways seem mean to me. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like that is, yeah, like you said, unhelpful. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's wonderful because that's when we're asking that question, sort of like, I'm struggling to see that God is good and kind. Mm. That seems to be the time that we bring this, bring this <laughs> right. out. Which then when right. you when you start to read the context of this, which um, that's why this chapter was so helpful for me, because it forces me to read. Like, so anytime this book, it always has a verse at the top of each chapter. And so I always try to read the whole chapter around it just mm. so... I don't just do what I tend to do, which is read outside of context. Context. But I think it's fascinating because when you read it in the context, it's doing the opposite of what you and I just described. Like it's the opposite of what our typical interaction is with with this passage. So let me read 55, 6 through 9 just to hear it in a bit of its context. It's not the whole context, but it's a bit of it. So it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so when you look at the context of this, what do you think it is saying actually about God that we'll have trouble grasping or understanding? Is it that he's, are we going to struggle that he's, oh, he's actually this distant kind of, he's dismissive of you? Or is it telling us something else that we're going to have trouble understanding? So I would say, yes, it's telling us something else. Um, I feel like it's helpful. This is, I should have maybe told you this ahead of time, that this is where I feel like it's helpful to actually keep going into Hmm. 10 and 11. Keep going. Can I read that? Is that allowed? Okay. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So I feel like within context, um, we're looking at the thing that we are unable to understand is not just, oh, well, God does whatever he wants and we don't have to get it. I think the thing that we are going to be unable to comprehend is the way actually in which God pardons and restores like i think that is the shocking thing um so you know his he is accomplishing his purposes his ways are succeeding and what we are not going to be able to wrap our minds around is how like beyond our imagination good that is and will be i think like Mm -hmm. when i read that that's what i think we don't understand yeah yeah i agree that the the thing that should blow us away is that God has compassion on us and that God will abundantly pardon Mm -hmm. us and that God in 10 and 11 brings all of this life out of the places that are dying and decaying and it keeps going in 12 and 13 which we'll read later like it's just it's that's the thing that should blow us away Mm -hmm. so when we use it as a Bad things are happening in your life, mm. and you're not going to understand it. So just like to stop asking questions because God's ways are higher than yours. And I don't think we're trying to communicate that right. when we right. throw it out there. No. We're actually trying to be encouraging. Yeah. But when we do it flippantly or quick, quickly, it tends to sort of uh, knock down conversation mm. and make people feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't struggle. Sure. Maybe I shouldn't yeah. struggle in the midst of all this. But what you see, yeah, is that like what should blow us away is compassion and forgiveness mm-hmm. and God's not just ability, but desire and power to bring about life in the midst of pain and, and struggle. And I was thinking about that, like, well, if you read the whole chapter, that becomes quite apparent. Mm-hmm. But my struggle when I think about this idea of the wicked and unrighteous returning to the Lord to receive his mm-hmm. compassion and his pardon like my struggle is I continue to think that there's some certain level of sorrow that I have to hit for for God to show me compassion and for God to abundantly pardon me that and I never hit it. So like that's my internal dialogue right. is like there's a there's a level of sorrow that I have to hit in order to unlock God's compassion and I'm and I never hit it in in my head. And so I have to keep I mean, it's just self-righteousness. I have to keep working and working and working for God to to be compassionate toward me, which in the end, that's not actually pardon. Like, right, right. <laughs> yeah. If, right. If I have to hit a certain you level. earn it. Yeah. yeah, right. Then I've just 
I've just earned it. It's no longer it's no right. longer forgiveness in the way that we as as Christians think about forgiveness. Right. And so I think that our our natural, if we if we're using Orland's words, our natural understanding of God's compassion and pardon, mm-hmm. it doesn't just miss the mark. Uh, and we see it in some of this language. So God's ways aren't just a slight tick off from our ways. He says, or- Orland says basically that they're like the space between the heavens and the earth. It says that for as the heavens are higher than the earth. And I think that's the Hebrew way of saying it's just the largest possible space you can <laughs> right, imagine. Right. <laughs> and so his ways are so much greater, or his compassion is so much greater. His, his uh, pardon and forgiveness and his love is so much greater. And when we hear that as Wheatlanders, uh, hopefully we're reminded of Psalm 103 because we say it every single Sunday. We quote uh, the Psalm 103 version of this, that for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And so I was reading, doing a bit of research, and the two places in the Bible that have this phrase are, are these two, Isaiah 55 and Psalm 103. So the two times in the Bible when we see this description of the massive, bigger than we can imagine, uh, size are describing the greatness of God's love in Psalm 103, and then here his compassion and his forgiveness. That is, love and compassion and forgiveness are bigger than we can possibly imagine. So I think that's amazing and wonderful news, especially if someone is struggling in the midst of something. So actually, these verses are wonderful to share with someone when they're struggling. Uh, we just have to do it in a different way, <laughs> right, I think. Right. So one of our elders also often, so you know, we'd share something like that in a session reading, and one of our elders will often say, okay, so what difference does this make for you on a Monday morning? Hmm. Like, he always wants us to wrestle with that, which is a wonderful question. Um, and so I throw it to you. Like, <laughs> like, how do you think this extraordinary compassion of God or his, his desire and power to bring life out of, hmm. in the midst of pain, like, what difference does that make hmm. when you get up and you drive in to work on a Monday morning? Yeah, so I think that um, my first thought about that is just that we do accept things totally differently, whether it's like news or a request or a favor or whatever or critique from from someone that we are really sure loves us is very different. Mm -hmm. And so someone who, you know, like a friend who tells you something difficult or really confronts you about something, but you know that that person loves you so much, that's going to look just so radically different than someone who doesn't, someone who doesn't care about you. And so I think when we see this sort of bigger vision of a God who is like redeeming all things, whose plans are going to be accomplished, who is working legitimately all things for good, we are going to receive our struggles, our Monday morning, I, you know, discontent or sadness or whatever it is that we are facing in a way that, like, that we can truly believe that God's ways are not our ways and that in a way that's hopeful, Mm -hmm. in a way that is God's ways are not my ways and I know that he is good and is legitimately working all things toward redemption and flourishing. Um, I think that that you know, that doesn't necessarily give you like a practical task to do, but I think it does just radically shape the way that we face the things that are hard, um, is to sort of put them within a context of this God who is accomplishing this thing. Uh, I think sovereignty too. Sovereignty is only 
good news if God is good and kind and loving. Like a sovereign God who is unkind is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I think just yeah. just reframing it in that way on Monday morning shapes the way that I look at everything that comes my way, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, and I think about what you said at the beginning, like the 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 faulty belief that comes well what both of us said the faulty right. belief that comes naturally is that if that god is is that god might be distant mm. and so when you think about his sovereignty and you think about this that his his thoughts are not ours and his ways are higher than ours uh that is only a comfort if he's not distant like you said right. like it's not right. a comfort if he's this god who's way out there and like don't worry he's got everything under control <laughs> he's going to work right. it out for your good and you can believe that, that he's going to work out for good. But if he's way out there, it still feels like, ah, but does he know me? Like, yes, does he know exactly. what I'm going through? Yeah. But, if you feel, but if you think of him as God's spirit is present with you, Jesus, like you said, takes on flesh and becomes one of us. Oh, that God. Oh, that's right. who God is. And right. he's working things out for the good of those who love yes. him. Yes. Oh, now I can trust in that more yes. because he's here and he's with mm. me. And that means mm-hmm. he does actually know my pain yes exactly. and know what I'm dealing with right so Ortland um near the end of the chapter he starts to lean on John Calvin seems like a safe place to go uh when you're talking with things but it but it's great because like he's still not done with just this one little thought right, right. Uh, and he keeps going and going and he further drives home this point and so Calvin takes these words uh John Calvin that is and argues that this isn't Again, this is not uh, creating a distance between God and us, but it's actually the opposite. And Calvin argues that the distance is that we think small thoughts about God's heart, but his heart is expansive and invincibly set on us. And this is how Calvin describes it. This quote says, People are inclined to judge and measure God from themselves, for their hearts are moved by angry passions and are very difficult to be appeased. And therefore, they think that they cannot be reconciled to God when they have once offended him. But the Lord shows that he is far from resembling men. God is always ready to pardon and be reconciled. And so when I think about that, that God is always ready to pardon and be reconciled, how, how do you think this description of God's unfathomable, in a sense, from Isaiah 55 heart that he's always ready to pardon, and then informs the way we come to him. If it's where it says, return to the Lord, mm. that because he has this just unbelievable heart that is always ready to pardon and be reconciled. How do you think that informs our repentance then when we come to him? Yeah, so I think for me it's really helpful just to be reminded, you kind of touched on this earlier, that God isn't just like begrudgingly forgiving us because he has to now, or like, okay, well, technically, he's got to forgive us, so he will. Um, he hasn't just made us, like, tolerable to him. Mm. I think that really is helpful for me just to come back to over and over again, that we are not um, turning and confessing to a God who says, okay, fine, but, like, do better next time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, okay, um, you know, try harder. I don't really understand why you keep messing up. Um, like God is not surprised by our our continued falling shortness, um, but also He is so much above and beyond ready and eager to pardon, and is not. I don't know. There's, it's not the obligatory distant posture. Mm-hmm. I think it's helpful yeah. 
to just continue to consider that. Um, because I think there is like, there is a sense of shame or like reluctance to turn to God in confession when you are someone who struggles with wanting to feel in control, wanting to seem put together. Um, so to do that, there is that sense. And I think that is only increased if I'm thinking of this distant, cold God who is going to say to me like, well, yeah, I do think you really could have done better there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that, and that's tr- me turning my attention and efforts on me instead of on Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, what you described, like you said, that he doesn't just tolerate, like it isn't just about tolerating us. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a delight in right. Isaiah 55. Right. I don't think it ever uses the word, but like, uh, well, it does say delight yourselves in rich food, but that's something different. <laughs> but like there's a, there, which I hope everybody does, but there's, there's a, that God delights uh, to do this. And yeah. Ortland, I love that one of the images he gave somewhere in there and he, he said that God's longing or his delight in a sense is that we dump the wreckage of our lives onto his lap. And that, that's a wonderful mm. uh, image yeah. for me. It's a powerful image that we don't sort of uh, sneak it over there onto his lap and like, right. oh, he wasn't looking, so I got to dump it. But he's like, no, like bring <laughs> right. it to me. And I think that's right. Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. It's like, no, I want, yeah. I want you to dump the wreckage. And I love... Uh, the image then of that that when we we when we dump our wreckage it's not just that the weight of our sin is taken off of us mm. in Jesus but then also on the other side that we get the righteousness of Christ in return and then when that happens we are brought into this mm. uh, glorious future of God's blessing and the spreading of his kingdom which I think is where Isaiah 55 ends in verses 12 and 13, that it's not just, oh, you get to dump all the bad stuff onto Jesus, but that Jesus now, because of his work, now there's this promise of a glorious future. So if I read verses 12 to 13, it says, for you shall go out in joy. And I can't, I can't do this without hearing like this kid's song that he used to sing, for you go out with joy. I, I don't know but that anyway. one. <laughs> I know, I, well, that one. I know, it's a different generation. But yeah. so I can't, and I read it wrong every time I'm thinking <laughs> of the song. So I'm gonna focus. You got it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall be not, not be cut off. Mm-hmm. And I love that conclusion because I think sometimes when we go up and down and up and down and up and down with our sin and our failure and all the events in our lives that are painful and disappointing and not going as we thought, we can start to think, like, is this it? Like, is this, mm-hmm. is this all, is this all there is? So it's just the up and down, up yeah. and down, and then I die. And then I guess I'll be with God in the end. But like, what's that actually like? And so passages like this, 55 of Isaiah, Romans 8, Revelation 21 and 22, like we get tiny little glimpses of this glorious life that we eagerly anticipate when thorns turn into plants, like, like on all these, mm-hmm. these things of pain mm-hmm. and death and frustration turn in. To, to goodness or rich food, if you want to take the language mm-hmm. above there. And I think that's that sort of life-giving grace that makes Isaiah 55, 8 
actually helpful in the midst right. <laughs> in the midst right. of our struggle and our pain that god is ready and eager mm. to spread his abundant compassion and pardon in our lives yeah yeah these verses are actually like hanging next to my desk at work they're in a frame um for that reason that i think that it is most comforting to to know that god's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts because his way is ultimately everything set right which we cannot imagine mm-hmm. um and i think that like you said we kind of get our head down we're in these sort of seasons of like whether it's you know extreme despair and pain or just the mundane things of life where we cannot i don't know we can't imagine a forever that is marked by like the presence of god and everything as it should be mm-hmm. and so i think that when we put the idea that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts in the context of knowing that they're just infinitely better than anything we can mm-hmm. imagine, that is, that's actually hopeful um, as opposed to just saying, well, you don't get it. Um, like what we don't get is how abundantly God has cared for and provided for us ultimately in Christ and, and with him in, in so many smaller tangible ways that point us to that. Um, yeah, that's where that is actually good news to mm-hmm. say, like the thing that you don't get is God's love and God's redemption mm-hmm. is, is encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that that's, uh, yeah, that's great. I hope that that is our, that's the result. Well, yeah. of this entire book in a sense, but right. since he said, this is the point of the book in the beginning, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, uh, but, but this with this, key. with this chapter in particular, yeah, that like, I, I like what you said that like. God is setting things right. And you think about how frustrating it is in our world as we try to set things right. And we should keep trying to set things yeah. right because we're trying to image a God who is setting things right. Uh, but he will do it because his ways are higher than ours. Like he actually right. knows how, knows what is best, has the wisdom, and has the power to do it. And that is, that is, the, greatest, that is the greatest comfort in the midst of... Right the daily grind of life or in the midst of the biggest, most overwhelming difficulties and pain. Well, thanks, Aaron, for coming in and sharing. Yeah, thanks Being for willing to me. do this for a second second time by popular in demand, honor. as I said. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I, I believe we said one. So yeah, thank well, you, yeah, I, wherever well, I, you are. I can remember one person, but it, it, it might have been more. Uh, in been honor. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to The Heart of Christ, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit wheatlandpca.org.